lot of public art, in particular, a lot of the murals in Anchorage, a lot of them are not local, and most of them are not by people of color or representing people of color. And if mm -hmm. there are some that are representing, um, that are depicting indigenous people, but it's not painted by an indigenous person or inclusive of indigenous people. Um, and I'm not here to beat up on any, any other artists, but there's a definite lack of representation of indigenous people. And it's really important that we're given a space to tell our story. Mm -hmm. This is our story. This is our art. And this is our land. We should have a right to be the ones to tell our story. And so when I say indigenizing a space, indigenizing, I mean giving a platform for indigenous artists to step up and start creating and telling our own story. That was artist Crystal Whirl. And she's fresh off of two big projects, a mural in downtown Anchorage and a commission for Google. The mural depicts and applies traditional Alaska Native traditions and symbols. The formline art of the Clinket, Haida, and Simshan, for example. It's 120 feet long, the longest thing she's ever designed. The Google skin, titled Primary Ravens, depicts ravens, which represent the creator and are always playing tricks. What she likes most about these pieces is that they're public. They don't belong to just one person. They belong to the communities that they were made for so anyone has access to them. Both designs utilize traditional and modern techniques, something Crystal makes a point of combining in her work, and they're part of a larger idea to indigenize public spaces. Crystal says that having her murals displayed downtown is significant, because that's where people come together. It's where locals hang out, do business, have dinner, and it's where visitors are often introduced to Alaska. In many ways, art helps us understand a city, the land, and the history of both. She says that the art of Formline can help us understand the future of Alaska. It can help us visualize and plan for the future of a state that reflects our ideals and our values. Her mentor, Haida artist Robert Davidson, taught her about the power of visualization. He told her to focus on the end goal, not the process, because so many things will test your strength along the way. So it's important to be persistent, to imagine herself standing in front of the finished piece and celebrating it. So here she is, Crystal Whirl. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North, through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. I saw on your social media that you have quite a few plants. Are you good at taking care of plants, or is it tough for you? I have killed many plants to get where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many plants, and now... They are taking over my house, and it's a little bit scary, and I don't know what to do with all of them. <laughs> so I was looking through your social media, and that was a pretty recent photo, and it like connected with me because my wife and I are um, are just trying to keep these plants alive in our house, and they're like the really low maintenance plants, and you know she goes into work, I work from home or at a co working space, and so I'm like at home more often and I feel like maybe I'm overwatering them. You probably are overwatering them. There's a lot of tips and tricks and how I actually learned about taking care of plants was through Instagram. Mm. Um, one of my favorite Instagram accounts I follow is called Plant Daddy. <laughs> and then there's this whole there's like a whole genre of of people of color and transgender people that are like just slaying it with plants. And I follow other accounts and it's just really fun to see them getting into plants. And during COVID lockdown, I was really good at killing plants. And then I started <laughs> using Instagram as a tool to learn how to take care of plants. And now I'm like really good at it. Um, and now I have too many plants. 
I think I'm going to have to do that. I think I might have to go through your friends list and uh, follow some of these plant people. Yeah, they make it really fun. I get obsessed with it and carried away. It's something I like. I'm like, okay, I need to stop spending money and buying plants, especially in <laughs> Juno. You know, like people import them here and they knock the price up. And then I go somewhere like Mexico and that plant's growing everywhere like a weed. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I downloaded your, your Google commission and it is the skin on my Google Chrome right now. Sweet. So congratulations on that. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little about that project. Sure. Um, my brother Rico and I got a gig with Google earlier this year where we designed wallpaper for smartphones and Google phones. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that eventually led to Google, me being on Google's radar. And they eventually reached out to me later on this year. Um, and they reached out to a total of four uh, Native American artists um, to be featured on the Google Chrome browser and the OS on the background of MacBooks. Mm -hmm. um, and so they reached out to me and I was like, sure, I'd love to do that. Um, and I was just super excited to see that they wanted me to create art to be on the browser. And they were really, Google is really great to work with because their mapping system, their, uh, you know, they have like this whole PowerPoint layout of what they expect the timeline, the deadlines, you just know exactly what you're in for, which as an artist, it's really challenging to work as a contractor and every single contract is unique. And Google's, you can tell they've worked with tons of artists before because they give, they give me free reign to design in the way I like to design, but they also give me structure as a contractor. Um, which is really nice. I don't have to worry about like, well, okay, I need more time to do this. I need you to be more clear about the vision. Like they're very thorough. Mm -hmm. And so it cuts a lot of my time down and their time. And it's just super efficient. And I loved the freedom they gave me with the art and the theme. Um, they were very clear about like creating a theme. Um, and I just felt like I had a lot of free reign as a designer to choose my path. Um, and for the art, I decided to do, uh, one is like a landscape, um, with a whale's tail. And then two of them actually have my portrait in it because you used to be able to Google native American. It still actually is this way. If you Google native American and look at images, the majority of images are photo, like old photographs of native American people. Most of them are like Edward Curtis photos. Mm. They're like staged and they're like all these Native American people looking really stoic in their headdresses. And um, those are really cool photos, but it's not a current depiction of indigenous people living in the now and today. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you Google other, you know, like Asian American, African American, you see like contemporary people wearing modern clothes. And you Google Native American, it's, you know, there's some photos of powwow dancers. Um, but I was like, how cool would it be to like put my portrait in some of this artwork because it's showing people like in the now what an indigenous person looks like. You know, I'm mixed. I'm Clinket, Athabascan, Yupik, which are all Alaska Native tribes, but I'm also Filipino. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very common as an indigenous person to be mixed with all sorts of backgrounds or, you know, different tribes. Uh, so I, I never usually put my portrait out. If I even if like a painting, I don't sell painting portraitures of myself. Um, so I thought, you know, this was a good space to do it. And what I love about being on Google Chrome is anyone who has access to the Internet has access to this work. Mm -hmm. It's sort of in the realm of public art, which I love public art because it doesn't belong to one person. 
it belongs to a community and it can be embraced and shared by many people. Everyone gets to share it. No one who can't afford my work or, you know, it's, it's shared and it's not, it's no longer my piece. It's something I created with a community. So this was the internet version of that. And it was really neat to, it was really neat to do that. You know, I read that your art utilizes traditional and modern techniques. What does that mean? Yeah. Clinkit Formline, the design I do is known as Formline design, mm -hmm. uh, which is specific to Clinkit, Haida, and Simshian tribes. Um, and traditionally, that information was passed on through mentor to apprentice. I mentored under Robert Davidson. He's a Haida artist based in BC, Canada. Mm -hmm. And I studied under him for three years in learning the principles of Formline, the ABCs. Robert Davidson always says, uh, you need to practice drawing the ovoid for 10,000 hours um, before moving on to the next step, before you start building intuition in the art. Um, and at first I didn't understand what that was. I was just like, here's some of my work. And I showed him my collection of work when we started and I had printed it out for him cause he's old school. And he actually like didn't go through the whole pile. He maybe went through like a third of it. And then he stopped and he said, all right, throw all of this away. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which also historically, you know, uh, mentors and apprentices were also like really, mentors were really hardcore to their apprentices historically. Like uh, Dolores Churchill, she's amazing weaver, said that her mentor would burn her first baskets. Oh. And said that she would stop burning them when she knew how to weave. That's pretty hardcore. That is hardcore. <laughs> yeah, and Robert had similar stories, but it was such an experience to study with him and live in his light and work in his studio. He was carving a totem pole during the time I was there, and he had his son, uh, Ben Davidson, who's now passed, um, and Ben Davidson's son, his grandson, little three-year-old running around with a toy chainsaw um, playing on the totem pole. <laughs> and so I watched three generations carve this totem pole and it was such a beautiful experience. Yeah. And also learning through Robert, I call him, he's the Yoda of Formline and I was his Jedi in training, <laughs> still, still in training. And he's so humble, you know, he's would never call himself a master of the art. He says he's still a student and still learning and excited to learn about the art for the rest of his life. And so I'm embracing that in my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, he did, he taught me the principles and the ABCs of formline design. And now I apply that to modern technique. I use modern tools. I use a laser cutter. I use paint that's neon and fluorescent colored. Um, I do murals that are using techniques of, um, you know, gluing up panels onto wall. And I have a mural that's made from material that's used the same material used to make parachutes uh, mm -hmm. that I can print on and paint on. I'm using modern technology and embracing it as much as I have learned to embrace my my culture and my background, my upbringing, and my training in learning classical formline. Um, I prefer to call it classical formline instead of traditional formline. Uh, I just feel like traditional is over overused word, but there's so many things you can do with formline. Classical formline is like true to the principles and the style that is in light of how the masters have always designed it and continue it. But Robert also taught me, you know, I had this question. I was like, Robert, uh, with formline, it seems like there's a style for Clinket versus Simshian versus Haida. And it seems to change with every generation of artists. How do I know which is Clinket, which is Haida, which is Simsian? And he said, he made this really good point that just blew my mind. He said that as formline artists, we need to study the ABCs and the principles and put in our time to understand a foundation 
from there you can start to put your own twist on it and make your own style. So you look at Nathan Jackson, he's an amazing clinket artist, mm -hmm. carver. He started making form line thicker and heavier. And over time, people started to affiliate clinket art as thicker, heavier form line. And all his apprentices were learning from him. People started copying his style as he became a master. I've replicated a lot of his work to learn and study from it. And Robert said, um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that thicker, bolder form line is clinket. It's the artists that are setting that trend. Mm -hmm. Nathan Jackson is a trendsetter. And he said, your role is to be the next trendsetter. And then my mind was blown. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you feel like you're getting to a point where you can start adding your own personal touch to Formline? Yeah, you know, I, I still feel there's a lot for me to learn. Um, but like Robert, I plan to study and learn from the art for the rest of my life. And I mean that from classical form line and practicing from the masters. And I also mean that from the sense of learning new methods to do printmaking, uh, kiln casting, new laser cutting, CAD and 3D printing. My brother Rico is teaching me about CAD and 3D printing. Mm -hmm. um, I just It's just a, such a cool thing to be an artist and have the world in my hands of tools and technology and science and all this knowledge. But it's also really, really dope that I'm indigenous and have this um, cultural upbringing and background. I'm very fortunate. My family was very nurturing and um, made sure that we were raised to understand who we are, mm -hmm. to go out fishing, to go out hunting, um, no protocols at ceremonies and kuiks, um, understand the language and know how to stand up and introduce ourselves in Tlingit in front of a crowd and know how to use our Chilkat voice, you know, when we're speaking and addressing a crowd. So we had this very cultural upbringing, but we were also required to go to college and it didn't matter where or what we studied. We had to go to college to have the tools of both worlds. So I'm just really excited. I get to be me and embrace it in a modern time. Like it is such a cool time to be me right now because there's just so many great tools. I'm on Google. Like it's, I'm, I'm stoked about that. I get to use yeah. Adobe Illustrator and I have this whole other world of color when it comes to working digitally. I have a whole other world of color when it's printmaking ink, when it's painting, you know? And I always look back to like how we used to use color pre-contact, you know, like we used deposits in the earth, um, copper deposits in the earth changed and created patinas on metal. And we used that in our chill cat robes. Mm -hmm. Um, we were just super, super innovative and intelligent people mm -hmm. to go through years of, of error and trial to come up with a color. <laughs> And then me, there's me sitting at my computer and I have an infinite amount of colors at my fingertips. I have infinite amount of ideas. There's not enough time in this life for me to do all the ideas I have as a creative person. To me, that that says that you're like in a flow state, you know, that you are in this state of being that when you're sitting down and you're working on your art, there's never a lack of ideas. No, I do. I do get creative block. Like when I have an idea and I'm trying to start it, but I definitely have way too many ideas. And then I meet other artists or I hang out with Rico or I, I meet people who are in other fields of creative spaces, like filmmakers or musicians. Mm -hmm. And then my mind just is just, amazed by what they do and then it gives me ideas and i'm like what if i collaborate with them what if i did that mm -hmm. it's a constant battle of trying to make up my mind what i want to do and what i want to be good at <laughs> yeah 
And then what's really great to have Rico as my brother, he's an artist too, mm -hmm. is we can, I forget what he called it. He has trades he's good at. I have trades I'm good at. I'm terrible at understanding CAD. I'm actually not that great at Adobe Illustrator and computer artwork, but he is a wizard. He is a mm. master of 3D printing, CAD. He creates NFTs. He's just like always on point with the next piece of technology and the internet. But he has no patience for painting, even though he's really good at painting. His paintings are great. He has no patience for the hands-on fine art. And that's where I come in and I'm like really into that. I love using my hands. I love using my body and carving out a woodblock print, and running it through the press. I love that, love that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then painting, sitting in the studio for hours and days, just painting, painting, trying to like be as accurate as I can with, with my, my lines. That stuff drives him crazy and I love it. And the stuff he does drives me crazy. So we're perfect. We're perfect sibling match when it comes to business and art. Yeah. It sounds like you two are very complimentary of each other. Mm -hmm. Earlier you said you were appreciative of your upbringing and how you were taught to use your chill cat voice. What is a chill cat voice? A chill cat voice is, um, my grandma always says, our, our people used to have to address each other in front of a waterfall. And so you had to speak up really loud and clear so that everyone could hear you. And she really taught us to be comfortable with public speaking and having a voice and speaking up and introducing ourselves, uh, you know, with, with our heads up and, you know, our bodies open. And so a chill cat voice is, is like being very present, making eye contact with people. And, um, it was just a really important tool. I didn't even realize I was learning. Mm -hmm. She would have us come to board meetings where there'd be like maybe 50 something people in the room and I'm a little girl and she made me and my brother stand up in front of everyone and introduce ourselves in Hlinga and translate it. And then everyone in the room would be like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that skill really has worked in my favor throughout my life. And as I progress in my career, I'm realizing the things that my family and my grandma taught me just now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, thanks, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like your grandma is pretty important to you. Yeah, she's um she's in in my my mind every day. Mm -hmm. Um I see her once a week at family dinner and I she always persists. She is the busiest person on this planet. <laughs> she's not slowed down. Yeah. My we want her to retire so she can like relax and write her autobiography because she has an amazing story mm -hmm. but yeah she's been this massively influential person in my life and i'm just i'm super excited that i get to know her in this light i have so many people that are like oh rosita world's your grandmother that's how i know you rosita world rosita world mm -hmm. she's an amazing person and how how special it is that you're her granddaughter and i'm like yeah it's another thing that I'm like humbled by and reminded like, oh, wow. Yeah, it is. It is really special. I just think of her as grandma though. Like mm -hmm. I can joke with her. I can laugh with her. Um, you know, I'm very comfortable and casual with her. Sometimes I'll like gently lay on her lap and, and say, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. <laughs> just to make her laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like dumb jokes like that. I can share with her and I don't realize like how special that is. And then until people are like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, like my relationship with her is like very much based on humor. Cause I, I guess I'm just like the, the comedian in the family. I just, I love laughing and I love hearing her laugh. And so but she's also taught me to be a proud, a proud woman and to carry myself a certain way. And, you know, she, she's like, 
okay, miss manners, don't forget your manners. I really learned my manners and etiquette because she said in her upbringing, people treated her very differently. People viewed her as, you know, this savage person. Hmm. And she was one of the first Native American women to get her PhD from Harvard. And she has crazy stories. She said one time, this guy, while she was going to school, spit on her. Hmm. She ran up the stairs and threw him down the stairs. I'm like, whoa, grandma, you're tough. And then she'll, she'll randomly be like, oh, my knee hurts. I shouldn't have rode that motorcycle like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> That's incredible. What have you not done, grandma? Like, what? who have you not met and what have you not done? Yeah. She said one time she went, she was being honored in Korea. And in Korea, they didn't know how to honor her as a woman. They, at the time, had, like, just been honoring a lot of male roles and she found out that they were told to treat her like the queen of england and so she showed up and she opened her closet and there was a full wardrobe of clothing made to fit her that's awesome <laughs> yeah she's she's an awesome lady and so you know i i try to carry her light in my work and what i do she's obviously very amazing um, anthropologist and done incredible things of creating this amazing arts campus. Uh, and now she's fundraising and grant writing to get 30 totem poles erected in Juneau on the waterfront. Hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I'm not the best at writing and doing what she does, but I can be just as good in the arts. I can be like her, but what works for me, what makes me happy is doing art. You recently did this incredible, colorful mural on the side of a building in downtown Anchorage. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah. The Anchorage mural. Wow. That was, um, it was pretty recent. It feels wild to say that because I was, um, started planning that two years ago. I saw on the Anchorage the Alaska mural project, they did a call out for artists to apply just so that they could have a database of indigenous artists mm -hmm. in the area. And I got, I applied, they interviewed me and they selected me and a handful of other artists to do murals around Anchorage. Um, and they actually had me do it planned for a different wall. Um, but then as the year went by, uh, the building owners of that building, Barbara and Larry Cash, they are good people. They own that building and they reached out to the Anchorage Museum and offered their building. That's awesome. The crazy thing about that is that there was a mural already there that had been there for 25 plus years. Mm -hmm. And um, it was done by Bob Patterson and he created this linear timeline of Anchorage's history and didn't really acknowledge indigenous people in that history. In the very top left corner where the timeline starts year 1000, there's native people in their parkas 
in their huts with a bunch of animals. <laughs> but as time progresses in this timeline, there's airplanes, um, there's all these historical events that happened in Anchorage, but there's no acknowledgement of indigenous history or presence. It just makes it look like we don't exist anymore. And the timeline on that piece also only goes up till 2010 and fades out. And so it's like numerically, it's literally expired. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was time for a new mural. And I was thrilled that Barbara and Larry Cash were really wonderful people. I got to meet them and talk with them. I got to work with various community leaders, the Anchorage Museum, the Alaska Pacific University, the Anchorage Downtown Partnership, and the Alaska Mural Project, and all these wonderful people to come together and create this massive project. This is the biggest thing I've ever painted or designed. And it was really scary. It took two years of planning and going back and forth with the design and trying to come up with the design and then the planning part. I'm so grateful for Ryan Kenny, who works at the Anchorage Museum, of how much he put into the logistics of planning, managing the actual project, like mm -hmm. the lift, um, getting clearance in the parking lot, passing it with the city, you know, all that stuff is, I've done it before and I don't, I'm not a fan of project management. I don't feel confident and good in it and I don't need to be, I want to focus on the art. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, really wonder, like such a blessing to have a team and the support that I had in this project. Um, and my family and my friends were really excited and supportive. I had apprentices come through and help me. When I have big projects, I always try to have apprentices, indigenous up and coming artists that are local to that I hire mm -hmm. to help me execute a piece and simultaneously train and um, support them and try to, you know, motivate them to be like, hey, if I can do this, you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really proud of my apprentices. And so I'm really blessed to have that support. It was a really interesting time. I, my partner deleted my Twitter for me because there was a whole feed of, on Twitter that was just slandering my name and saying crazy, just like ludicrous things about my art. Really? Yeah, because there's a group of people in Anchorage that felt their history was being wiped out. And I purposefully decided to make this piece a statement because of the wall it's on, the size, the scale, the location, mm -hmm. and the fact that it's covering up this mural. I wanted it, you know, the previous mural was very like monotone. This mural, I'm using bright, bold colors. There's, mm -hmm. there's like hot pink, there's purple, even in the floral pattern that's over the whole piece. That's with a sheer iridescent pearl uh, paint. And, and then there's also the animals in throughout the piece. They have this gold medallion that's inside of all them. And in Yupik, we call that the Inua. That's the inner being. And so I tried to incorporate, you know, the representation of diversity. Anchorage is this wonderful gathering place that has so many different cultures and so many different tribes in Alaska go there to live and work and exist. And mm -hmm. uh, it's Denina territory. I wanted to incorporate Denina um, design and culture, but also include, you know, as much as I could of representing different groups of different tribes in Alaska. Mm -hmm. But all the while, I didn't want it to look too busy and too crazy. I also wanted it to be bold and bright. Um, this was a really challenging piece for me to design. And it was also challenging to be on this lift. I'm like 15 feet up in the air. Yeah. There's all these buildings with windows that are, people are watching me from at different levels. There's people above me watching, people below me watching. People down below are like jumping over the barricades to come to get my attention. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. They're like, I just want to ask you a question. I'm like, no, 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 I'm working. Yeah. There's a, there's a poster, read the poster. Um, so it was just like constant chaos 
left and right. There'd always be something. It was, the weather was raining and windy and that night it was foggy and we had this timeline crunch because we only had a certain amount of time and a certain amount of budget. It's a private building. It's privately funded. But people really took it as like, this is public. It belongs to everyone and all of us. Mm-hmm. And I felt that too. I wanted it to be embraced by the community. Um, and I, you can't please everyone and that's okay. Yeah. One of the, one of the comments I, I laughed at someone on Twitter said, pink is not a native color. <laughs> really? That, that just made me laugh so hard when I read that. And I was like, thank you. That is the name of my next painting. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to name it pink is not a native color. Yes. <laughs> That's great. I've already started painting it and it's the brightest possible pink I could find. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great way to go about it. Yeah. I mean, I could be, you know, like native woman here, hold my earrings, get in a fight. But <laughs> <laughs> You know, while you were working on that painting, you posted updates on social media and one of your updates said rain keeps on raining and we keep on painting we're getting there let's indigenize the city what did you mean by let's indigenize the city yeah um a lot of public art in particular a lot of the murals in anchorage a lot of them are not local and most of them are not by people of color or representing people of color. And if mm-hmm. there are some that are representing, um, that are depicting indigenous people, but it's not painted by an indigenous person or inclusive of indigenous people. Um, and I'm not here to beat up on any, any other artists, but there's a definite lack of representation of indigenous people and it's really important that we're given a space to tell our story. Mm-hmm. This is our story. This is our art. And this is our land. We should have a right to be the ones to tell our story. And so when I say indigenizing a space, indigenizing, I mean giving a platform for indigenous artists to step up and start creating and telling our own story. Mm-hmm. It's also really hilarious. There is an Instagram um, called Anchorage is Beige. Yeah. (laughs) Anchorage is very beige. And so bringing some color to it, as in color in many, many ways, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Some diversity. Um, You know, I I grew up in Alaska and I spent a lot of time in Anchorage. I grew up in Fairbanks, but I'd come to Anchorage a lot. Um, I went to Anchorage... Uh, for high school and my first two years of college at UAA. And so I know Anchorage very well. I have family. I go there once a month, even though I live in Juneau. Mm-hmm. Um, and our trickster company warehouse is also out of Anchorage. But I, growing up in and out of Anchorage, I just remember not feeling, as a young person, I look at the art I didn't, it just didn't feel right. It felt funky. It felt weird. And I didn't know why. Mm. And the one artist that was out in public art was John Hoover. And his work has influenced me so much. I'm really good friends with his daughter, Anna Hoover. She's awesome. His work moved me as a kid. It was amazing. And it made me really proud to be me. It also made me really excited to make art. Uh, so I hope, you know, kind of hope my art does that for our young people and our people. And I really hope it's just the beginning. I hope to be a trendsetter that it won't just be my art that's there. I can't wait to see more artists um, step up and create murals, which is happening. You know, at the same time, my mural was going up. Drew Michael, he's this amazing Yupik mass carver and artist. He was doing a mural on the Kobuk building. Um, And then uh, Rejoy, who is a Filipina artist, Mm -hmm. had just done a mural before. And so it was just really, you know, 
despite it being kind of scary, I'm like high up in the sky, people are watching me. I'm feeling like I need to, you know, ignore all the spectators. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the same time, Drew Michaels, a couple buildings down painting his and he's feeling the same thing. We kept checking in on each other, like visiting each other at each other's murals. Yeah. And being like, hey, we're doing the right thing. This is great. Anchorage needs this. Alaska needs this. Yeah. This is exciting. And so we really tapped into each other and supported each other on that and reminded ourselves, like, we're doing the right thing. This needs to happen. If we're not going to do it, who's, who's going to do it, you know? Yeah. What does an indigenized city look like to you? Hmm. You know, one of the top uh, Pacific Northwest Coast arts capital is Vancouver, BC. And that's where I did my apprenticeship with Robert Davidson for three years. And it was amazing. It was amazing to live in a big city, but also be in this big city that had huge murals and art pieces done by several different indigenous artists. Mm -hmm. um, so that was mind blowing and unreal. And I was like, wow, we need, we need that in Southeast Alaska. We need that in Alaska. I just feel like sometimes I feel like Canada is a little bit ahead of the game when it comes to supporting indigenous artists or first nations, but only a tiny bit. <laughs> <laughs> And when you go to Vancouver, you'll see it. You'll see Formline at such a large scale. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And oh, I just can't wait for Alaska to be indigenized more like our in the public art field. It's happening. It's going to happen. <laughs> I wonder if you think art like this, you know, the mural that you created in downtown Anchorage, can help transform the city toward that, toward being indigenized. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the role I'm, I'm hoping to play. Um, you know, when Robert was like, you're going to be a trend center. Maybe this is the next trend. Indigenous artists, um, people of color, uh, BIPOC people, stepping up and feeling like there's a safe space for them to tell their story and create and make Anchorage not so beige. Mm -hmm. You also did the Elizabeth Paratrovich mural in downtown Juneau, and that was last year. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me about that experience? That was really, really stressful. <laughs> mm, okay. Cause I was doing something I hadn't done before with a material I was unfamiliar with. It was just a lot of new territory. I'd never project managed something at that scale. I'd never fundraised for a project at that budget. I've never had to pass with the city and the state regulations and work with them and all the terminology. I had to learn how to operate a lift. It was navigating so much. And then it's a rainforest. Mm-hmm. The weather was crazy and then COVID happened. This was this project was three years in the making. Um, and there were so many things that challenged me. Um, in addition to like COVID happening, I was trying to fly in another artist from Vancouver who's a muralist there to fly her in and collaborate with her and have her guidance. But that didn't work out with COVID. Canada shut their borders and then the chaos happened of a pandemic mm -hmm. and then we another year goes by and we're still planning for it to happen and then a flood happens in texas and that's where all the mural paint comes from our supply hmm. and so they were shut down and then once they opened they were bottlenecked um and then the this mural was made with mural cloth uh which is this amazing material that they, it's the same material they use for making parachutes, hmm. except it's primed and you can print high res imagery on it. And so I used graphic design in Adobe Illustrator. I vectored a design 
I took that iconic image of Elizabeth Pradovich from the uh, Juno Museum Archives collection. And this image of her, it's so iconic. People, when you Google her, it's the first image that pops up. People know her face through this image. Mm -hmm. It's now on a coin. <laughs> I used that image. I superimposed it in Adobe Illustrator. Um, and then I put her in... I didn't change the shape of her clothing or her hair, but I, the pattern on her, her suit, I made it one of Rico's patterns. And then I put a pair of one of Rico's silver baleen earrings on her as well. Mm -hmm. Just sort of add a little bit of flair and, and kind of have fun with what would she wear today? Um, and then the panels were shipped from Philadelphia because the manufacturer, uh, they're called Mural Provisions, and it's run by this really wonderful guy named Ben Volta, who's been doing this for over 30 years and has tons of this mural cloth technique on murals all over Philadelphia. Um, so I wanted to use this technique because you can do graphic design on it, you can superimpose photography onto it, and then once it arrived, I had five apprentices help me paint on it. And I used mural paint that had gold, silver, uh, just to create texture and depth and make it really pop. And once we finished painting all these giant panels, I had another apprentice help me install and glue each piece onto the wall. They're all squares. And I flew a guy from Philly to come and help um, apply because I didn't know how to glue it on. I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to mess it up. Mm -hmm. be such a bummer if it was like peeling off now yeah um and to teach me and my apprentice how to do the material install it and we ended up becoming really good friends with this guy marcus hines he awesome awesome guy that helps install murals in, in philly and all over um so it's just uh, so grateful to have the help and support and also to be able to like have apprentices to teach the process to and learn with they're like how are we doing this? And I'm, um, we're doing this by a trial and error and just by doing it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I did as much research and, and talking to people as much as I could to prepare for the best and for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and we installed in September and it's rainy, it's windy. And I was so stressed out. I was like, we're not going to get this done. You know, I had all these things in my mind to stifle me. First of all, there was COVID and then there was Texas and then there was, there's always something. And then mm -hmm. when we we're finally installing it, it was like myself that was like trying to stop me from getting it done. I was like laying in bed at night crying about it and like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Uh, this is not very good. And, and then I'd have good days where I'm like, oh, this is great. This is working out. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited. This is happening. It was a really emotional roller coaster, that piece for me. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really incredible to have the support that I had. And when we finished it, everyone came out. My my auntie, Jackie Peta, came out with her dance group and sang and danced and did a blessing while I was signing the mural on the lift. It was so cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so proud to commemorate Elizabeth Pradovich. She's also from the Thukahari, the Salmon Sakai clan mm -hmm. i'm a from the same clan and so you look at her image behind her is the sockeye salmon and the raven that's our clan and our modi the raven modi and then beneath her is the water waves with salmon eggs um symbolizing the next generation woo <laughs> and it's right on the <laughs> yeah it's right on the waterfronts facing the water and it's on our downtown juno library and it's also where all the cruise ships dock. When they dock, that's going to be the first thing they see. Ironically, around the corner on the same building is a really old mural of the first settlers, miners that came to Juneau. Hmm. It's like quite the juxtaposition. Yeah. But it's no longer the piece that welcomes people to Juneau. Which ironically, back in the day, when you come to Juno, you'd arrive by canoe, by shore. And so there's many levels 
to this piece and I'm grateful that it really worked out because this building was actually, this mural was supposed to be on a different building on their old Rockwell building downtown. That wall is like covered in asbestos. It's eroding and I don't have the budget or want to have the time to repair a building that I don't even own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll leave that up to the building owner. Like if they fix it <laughs> and they want to commission an artist, whether it's me or not, I can help that artist and that building owner create a beautiful and successful mural. Yeah. But I'm not going to pay to repair a building downtown. So yeah, that was, that was another thing that kind of was like bummed me out. Cause I, that's just such a prime wall. It's such a good spot. There's the beautiful mountains behind it, but this, the wall of the library building, it's amazing. The color palette and the iridescent gold on a sunny day, the sun hits the gold and it makes the sun behind her glow. And she just looks like this amazing human being that's glowing. Yeah. And then in the, in the winter, the snow makes the silver glow and it's beautiful. It's beautiful in the rain, the snow on a cloudy day, on a blue sky day, the blue sky matches the blue paint in the piece. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy and relieved it is done and it turned out great. <laughs> and I'm happy everyone else is happy about it. Something I just thought of is both of the murals we've talked about, they're both downtown. One is in downtown Anchorage. The other is in downtown Juneau. Do you think there's any significance in that? Absolutely. Being downtown is, that's where all the locals go to hang out, to do business, to have dinner. It's where all the visitors come and experience Alaska. That's what their impression of Alaska is. And historically, Native art has been just really appropriated and bastardized to a degree that's ridiculous in a lot of tourist shops mm -hmm. and yeah. that is changing it has to change and it is changing you know rico and i had a brick and motor shop for trickster company downtown juno and we really wanted to make it a point that we're indigenous owned we design everything here nothing is made overseas and mm -hmm. um you know we want we want people to feel like they can celebrate and be included in the culture and the art by embracing it and supporting indigenous artists in this way. You know, come in the trickster, buy a pair of leggings, rock our leggings that have cool form line design on it and tell other people like, hey, I've supported this native artist. I went to Alaska. Look what I got. Um, you know, that's such a great, a great way to support indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Um and ironically, like, uh, you know, a lot of our neighboring shops are not locally owned and selling totem poles that are carved in Bali for nine bucks. Um, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, we were, we, we challenged the market to change in Juno and, uh, now their shops are doing it. It's super awesome. And Anchorage is well on its way of doing the same. So as I was researching and writing questions, I read a quote from you that I loved, and I was wondering if you could elaborate on it. The quote was about how Formline helps you visualize the future to understand when, what, and how you can get something done. How do you think Formline can help us understand the future of Alaska? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, this goes back to my mentor, Robert. He taught me about the power of vis visualization. This is uh, Yoda to Jedi information. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. In in the process of learning Formline, I also learned about the philo the philosophy of our art um, and how we can apply that to our lives. And one of the greatest tools is the power of visualization. And Robert really taught me: don't focus on the process of getting there. Focus on the end piece. Visualize, for example, this mural. I had to visualize the mural being completed and me standing in front of it and celebrating it. I had to visualize seeing it on the building. 
and not be stifled by how am I going to do it? How am I going to get there? Oh, I don't have money. Oh, I don't have the resources. Oh no, COVID. Oh no, this and that. There's always going to be, there's always going to be this demon sitting there that's going to challenge you mm-hmm. um, and try to stop you from doing that. And actually Robert had told me that there's this supernatural being in Haida called Dugus. Uh, Degus Anoa and Degus Anoa's job is to challenge you and to slow you down or stop you. When you're even in your small day life, you're trying to like go to the store, but then the power goes out or some little thing, all the way to when you're trying to do a mural and a pandemic happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Degus Anoa testing your strength. And so persist and keep your eye on the end goal. Mm -hmm. Visualize the end, young Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I grew up in the snowboard and skateboard scene in Alaska, and that was always huge for, um, you know, my dad. He was kind of my coach growing up, and he would always tell me that, you know, visualize it. Visualize yourself doing it, and it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I was listening to this story. It was about how in 2015 you were invited to then Vice President Joe Biden's house to show your work. And you talk about how the design you showed came to you in a dream. How often do artistic ideas come to you in dreams? Often. Maybe not often enough, but maybe that's for a good reason. Hmm. I have really cool dreams. I have really scary dreams. I have really intense dreams. I dream very vividly. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just murdered everyone. What? And then I'm like traumatized. (laughs) But, um, you know, I really learned that our dreams, our subconscious could be trying to tell you something when they're that intense, it doesn't literally mean you murdered everyone. (laughs) It (laughs) just might mean that you're growing and that's growing pains showing through and your subconscious has been trying to tell you. And um, so dreams can be very extreme. Um, And a lot of my dreams I have are really, really crazy. And there's a lot of visuals that are imprinted in my mind when I wake up. And they're always connected to an experience I'm having. Um, for example, I, I did this artist residency in Venice when I was in college. I lived there for a month and I got really sick. Uh, and I also got really homesick. Mm-hmm. And I had this dream one night in the peak of my sickness. I was like sweating and cold and um, shivering and just feeling horrible and just missing home super bad. And in my dream, I was up in the sky and there was no ground. It was just like infinite space in the sky. And there are these ravens that were flying around me, just laughing and cawing. And then there's these clouds and they were walking on these clouds, just kind of bopping and trotting on these clouds. Mm -hmm. And they would step off and their leg would extend really, really far into the infinite downward. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they just had these really long legs. They look like, like, you know, that Salvador Dali painting of those elephants with the long legs, except they were ravens and they were just laughing and walking. And it gave me this warm feeling of, of feeling at home in my body and feeling comfort, comforted regardless of where I am in the world. I have home with me and I woke up and I felt so much better. And that, that dream, I actually forgot about it until I saw this yellow paper in the store and I just saw the dream, like that color yellow was the color of this dream. And it, as soon as I saw that color, it was like an on switch. I remembered the dream vividly. And then I painted a whole series of these ravens with long legs. Oh, that's great. Have you had any ideas come to you in dreams recently? Um, not recently, but... I also have had a lot on my plate recently and sometimes it's harder to retain memory of dreams when I have a lot going on. 
My brain just might be full right now. Maybe all it will take is for you to see a color. Yeah, maybe. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm like neck deep in several projects and paintings and ideas. I'm, I'm not seeking for a dream to come to me yet. <laughs> is that how it works? Uh, no, when I'm how it works is I, I just build a fire and send out smoke signals. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, Crystal, I know that you have other interviews lined up for today. So I just want to let you know that does it for my questions. And I really appreciated our time together today. Yeah, this is a really fun interview. I I appreciate the really thoughtful questions. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I appreciate everyone's support. Um, I had a really great time at AFN this year. It was really good to see everyone and hug people for the first time in years um, and to hear everyone's gratitude and support for me. So I'm just, I'm, my heart is full. Thank you so much, everyone. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. <laughs>